everybody. Welcome again to the Optimizing Human Potential podcast. And I'm here with coach and general manager of Vespa, Peter Defty. And he specializes in coaching um, elite ultra endurance athletes. And he's got the um, optimizing fat metabolism training down to a science. And he's going to talk a little bit about that. I am super excited to have him on because this is a topic that I'm greatly interested in. I've tinkered with the ketogenic diet, fat metabolism before, and I never could get it exactly right. So Peter is a great resource to figure that out. So welcome, Peter. Hi, Stephanie. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Enjoying uh, the today, and uh, thanks very much for having me on. Let's first go into what is... OFM, optimizing fat metabolism when it comes to training. Can you okay, that? well, the optimized fat metabolism program was an outgrowth of our work at uh, Vespa, which is a natural uh, product we get from wasps and bees uh, for, for shifting people over towards uh, greater high-intensity fat metabolism for, for sports. And um, this program grew out of the fact that we were seeing inconsistencies with, with athletes in terms of what they got out of Vespa. We knew it worked, but it would vary. So we developed this program and it, um, is centered around getting the body back to burning fat as the primary aerobic energy source. And Vespa is an integral part of that, but it's, it's just one part. It's a key part, but it's one part. And, um, what Stephanie's talking about here, one of the, we've developed the Vespa, um, OFM pyramid and the base, the foundation of that is that metabolic fat adapted state where your body wants to burn fat as fuel and the preferred fat source is actually saturated fats because they're the most potent and cleanest burning, uh, energy source you can have. So if you want to describe how the pyramid works, when well, let's, comes- let's first go into some of the mistakes. Let, let's, right. I, I want to stay intended. So getting you, get the foundation is getting into that fat, fat adapted metabolic state. And, um, as it is starting to come out into the mainstream, uh, people are starting to recognize the unintended consequences of overdoing it with carbohydrates and carbohydrates, your body recognizes them as sugars. And so, um, when you look at human uh, metabolism, one of the things a lot of people don't recognize is, is blood sugar is one of the most tightly regulated systems in your body. And so when you calculate that fasting blood sugar of like 75 to 95 milligrams per deciliter, the stuff the diabetes people look at, you know, fasting blood sugar, which is what your body likes to have in terms of circulating glucose, when you look at that in a human, it actually amounts to one teaspoon of sugar is glucose. That's how tight it is. And so you, you know, our bodies can go two or three teaspoons and not really do, do too much. But, but if you have like a whole wheat bagel, that's like dumping seven to 10 teaspoons of sugar in your system instantly. It's mainlining sugar. Right. And, and so that becomes a toxic sugar load, but in most people, your pancreas secretes insulin, the insulin drives it down, and um, it it's dealt with, okay? But in a type 1 diabetic, that would kill them if they didn't titrate themselves with some insulin. So, um, But what happens is when we do this on a chronic basis, 
your insulin levels go up and insulin um, works to drive your blood sugar down. And one of the ways it does that is by shutting down your body's ability to burn fat. And so one of the first things you got to do is bring your insulin levels down. And so you do that by restricting carbohydrates and simple sugars. But it, but when people do that, uh, a lot of the pitfalls are that, um, they think, um, due to the fear of fat, they think it's a high protein diet. So then they, they eat a lot of protein, but protein is something the body only likes in moderate amounts. And, and surprisingly enough, protein is best assimilated in a high fat environment. So when you have excess protein and not enough fat, a lot of that protein actually gets converted into glucose. And then your body has to deal with the glucose through the insulin. So um, that's one of the mistakes a lot of people make is they is they'll eat too much protein and not enough um fat when they restrict the carbs. Another is they don't realize what I was saying earlier about that one teaspoon and they won't restrict enough carbs. And then another thing that's very common with athletes is when they, they hear about it and they do it, they want to do everything all at once and they start, they try and continue their training regimen at the same time they're trying to make that transition. And you're kind of in a no man's land because at first it can last from a week three or four days to two or three weeks, that first period of transitioning over to the fat adapted state, your body's in sort of a no man's land where it can't, you're restricting the carbs. So it can't access the fuel source it's used to and has the hormones and enzymes to deal with. And it hasn't upregulated the enzymes and hormones to really use the fat at the rate it, it really can. So you're, you're kind of like short on energy. And, and so a lot of people wind up really wiping themselves out because they're trying to train through at the same time they're trying to get their metabolism shifted. And um, so th those are some of the pitfalls and, and that kind of thing could also uh, lead to adrenal fatigue. And, and also, and finally, a lot of people lifestyle need to not stress about it because if you're stressed a lot, you're going to have a lot of cortisol, you're going to want to burn sugar and it makes it hard to adapt. So those are some of the the, the common pitfalls we see and and they're all pretty easily remedied if people just relax, take it easy and realize you can, you, you can do it and, and you don't have to try nearly as hard as, as people think. I have a question about once you become fat adapted at some point, so you're in the middle of training, you've gone through the adaptation and you go to, you know, a party or a wedding or something and you eat cake and a bunch of crap and it throws you out of, have a sugar load on your system. How long or how do you recover from that? Well, okay, here's here's the deal. That's a that's a very very question. I don't have a simple answer for it at this point. Once you're well fat adapted, say you go through the first two or three weeks, but it still takes another six to eight weeks for the real good upregulation of your hormones and enzymes um, for fat burning. And then once you're training, then once you're saying that fat adapted state, say after two or three months and everything's working, you, you know, your, your, your hunger cravings are gone. Your recovery is notably faster. You tend to sleep an hour or two less. All those signs are there. And I, cause I, I'd rather people look at lifestyle signs and their training signs rather than trying to chase their ketone levels right. or their blood sugar. So, um, you know, your heart rate's a little lower. Everything's kind of working. What we see is, um, when you're an athlete and you have a high volume of exercise, this is why we call it optimized fat metabolism because we do use carbs strategically and, and occasionally that polluting yourself with a bunch of carbs isn't going to be the end of the world as long as you don't 
do it day after day. So you can go back. You'll feel like one of the things I'll actually do with some athletes is once they're well adapted three or four months into it, I'll, I'll actually encourage them to go have beer and pizza or do something like that because they will come back and tell them me, Oh my God. I mean, it was great for about, and then about an hour later it hit me and you know, you're, you're, you feel like heck for three or four days. You're constipated. You're inflamed. You're arthritic. You know, you just feel the effects of the inflammation, um, that, that, the uh, the sugar load actually puts on you. So it's so, an incentive it, to stay stay away from. Yeah, that yeah, and that's that's one of the things. The further you get into this and, and incorporate it as a part of a lifestyle, the easier it actually gets, and really you don't have to worry about the occasional uh, abuse. Okay, great. Because that's a big question I had. I know my personal problem was way too much protein, and. Uh, and I've lowered the protein, and I'm feeling really good. But in the past, I had I would be two weeks, and I wasn't really very fat adapted because I didn't feel as good as I felt now. And then I would have went to a party and ate ice cream and a brownie, and then it even made my not adaptation even worse. And another question I have: so athletes, a lot of athletes are are concerned about getting leaner. So it's sort of a two part question: athletes who want to lose fat and get lean compared to lean athletes who are just trying to optimize their performance? Is there a difference how they should approach? Um, Not not really, uh, Stephanie. And I've got some actually some good unpublished data on this um, because I work with a couple of guys who are in special forces and we were using a DEXA scan before and after. And what we've consistently seen when people get on this program, when they're exercising and fat adapted and using the Vespa, what happens is they get leaner and gain more lean body mass and their bone density goes up. So I try and tell people, don't look at what the scale's telling you because you'll be disappointed because you, you'll look like you lost weight more than the stick scale is, is saying. So go by how your clothes are fitting, what people are saying, because say you lose 20, you, you, you'll look like you lost 20 pounds, but the scale only tell you you lose, lost 13 to 15 pounds because as you lose the fat and water weight, you're going to pick up lean body mass and even a lean athlete is going to shift their composition. Oh, that's, that's good to know. So we're talking about endurance sports, nutrition for endurance sports, because the standard recommendation is, you know, the high, high carb, low fat diet, and then endurance training every 45 minutes you're doing a gel. I know you don't want to follow that sort of nutrition protocol for an endurance event. So when you're optimizing your fat, what kind of nutrition strategy do you follow doing during a race? Okay. Um, well, let's just back up here just a little bit before the race. Part of the nutrition is, is like with OFM, we focus on nutrition, not calories. So we're looking at the nutritional content of food. So nutritionally dense, nutritionally balanced and nutritionally bioavailable. So when you're, and that's mostly going to come from your diet so that when you go into that race, you're, you're super fat adapted, but you also have all the nutrition you have. I mean, it, so you can have the, the right hormones and enzymes upregulated, your, your bones and your liver have all the salts you need for, for buffering the load, the metabolic load. And so when you go into the event, the ironic thing, what we're finding is 
OFM athletes using the Vespa, they're going to use less calories, but on that day of that event, say it's a Ironman or a hundred mile run, um, it could be 80, 90% of their calorie intake on that day is going to be carb calories, carbs and sugars. Oh, I mean, okay. and, and we're, we're very, we're very lenient about that. And it can range from Mountain Dew and Coke to gels to pretzels to potato. I, I really, uh, tell people to, to do what works for them because they're, because, because they'll be using less. They won't be taking in a lot. They won't feel ever have a bonk. And, um, so you're not going to switch over energy systems to a glucose energy system just because you're, right. you're taking oh, well, in here's, calories. Cause that's a big concern of mine. I'm like, I put no, in here's all this the take, work. Yeah. Like, here's the take home. And the, this is the key take home that even though those calories that you take in during an all day Ironman or a 24 hour, 100 miler. Okay. You're going to be taking in 80 to 100% of your calories as carbs, but in terms of what that, that amount represents, it's only about 20 or 30% of your actual caloric expenditure. So you're still burning an overwhelming amount of fat. Okay. So you're not Does using, be- you don't necessarily need as much of the glucose. So instead of doing something every 45 minutes, what are your, do you, do you stretch it out to four hours or as needed or you have to play with it to fit? It, it really fits. It really fits. And that's why in, in OFM, we look at the carbs as strategic carbs. So, you know, depending on the event, it's, it's when you're going to want to take it and also the intensity and what you're, what you're trying to, uh, accomplish. Like, um, people like Zach Bitter who are chasing, you know, world records and American records in the hundred mile, they'll be taking in about, about 150 to 160 calories an hour. And it'll be 20, 30% fat and the rest will be carb calories. I think Zach says some, uh, he'll take in some Mountain Dew. He'll take in some banana chips cooked in coconut oil. Um, you know, things like that, some M&Ms once in a while. But it's, it, but see, when you're looking at 150, 160 calories for, you know, an elite, elite, you know, person chasing a, a record, uh, versus say three or 400 calories, which is what you're, you know, a lot of people in the ultra endurance, um, world are, are shooting for because they're trying to maintain that, that, that dead end of, of, of chasing their glucose because right. they're burning glycogen and glucose. Um, it makes a big difference. Right. And well. is there a difference for the length of time you're fat adapted? Does it, can, get to a state of where you're balanced or fat adapted as as you're going to get or does it improve the longer you're fat adapted like the longer I think I think it it improves and what we're seeing is usually usually most athletes when they hit about a two-year mark is when they really have it down and and part of that's the physiological I think the physiological thing is something like I said three months three to six months is sort of the physiological thing but but at two years, people really have it incorporated into a, a, a lifestyle, so they don't even think about it. I mean, they just know what to eat. They're not thinking. And I think that that's a huge part of it because um, when you don't have to think about it, you don't stress. And, right. and any, any kind of stress is going to be a cortisol response type of thing. So the less cortisol you have to respond to on a daily basis, the, the better – uh, your body's more apt to burn fat because 
you know, it's like Laura Gengoudis, uh says, you know, the hunting's when the hunting's good and you're relaxed, you burn fat. And, and so, um, that's sort of the thing, the thing I see that we're seeing pretty consistently is, is, is like a two year mark for that, that sort of Zen to, to um, what we call the Zen of OFM to set in and, and people just kind of know and take a very organic approach to it. Yeah. Do, do you have any athletes that you've seen like, you know, a complete turnaround in their performance from before and after? Yeah, I, I have several athletes, in fact, because um, a lot of the early, early adopters were what we call pukers in the ultra running uh, field. And, and these are people who have uh, severe intestinal issues in a race. Um, you know, that's one of the things that's very common in, in endurance, ultra endurance sports is the uh, gastrointestinal issues. And uh, people like John Olson, who um, is the current 24-hour world champion, and he, he actually broke the 100-mile American record uh, six weeks ahead of Zach. Um, he was a notorious puker, and he even said to me uh, one time, he said, Peter, you don't understand I used to go into races terrified because it wasn't even a matter of if my stomach would go out. It was when and how bad would it be. And so um, you, we've seen a lot of – we see a lot of athletes like that who um, came to us because they'd run – they'd literally run out of options. Them, and some of them like Betty Smith who's a 62-year-old woman who's really um, pretty surprising in her performance at 100-milers. She was thinking of giving up the sport because she said every time she took a gel, it felt like somebody was pouring acid into her stomach. Oh, awesome. And yeah. it's pretty encouraging just to hear that a 60-year-old woman is doing great at you know, ultra-endurance races. I mean, yep. that's inspiring just to know that in terms of longevity and recovery. So yeah, well, I had one guy last year, Bill McCarty, who's a 65-year-old. He completed 200 milers back to back. So one weekend he ran 100 mile. Next weekend he ran 100 miles. Goodness. That's and yeah. that's the kind of recovery. And and he's going back to the nutrition. You know, I had I have pretty much all my athletes that I work with closely. I have them doing uh, what I call the whole animal approach to eating. You know how they say eating right. whole foods good i tell them to eat the whole animal so bill would eat liver on thursday night and a steak on friday night and because it's it's really important to have the liver in order to balance the the nutrition for the muscle meat so you get more out of it right do you have athletes do any bone broths or anything like absolutely that? bone broths critical because you need to replace the mineral salts and the gelatin the collagen um in your system. And this is one of the things also that's very important for, for intestinal, gastrointestinal, because when you, when you process a lot of carbs, you, you just basically are, are, are doing severe damage to epithelial cells in your stomach and gut, which is going to burn your biome. And this is where leaky gut comes from, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it, in some people, it's leaky gut. Other people, it's IBS, Crohn's, celiacs, you name it. And so part, that's why the nutrition is so key is we want to, we want to make the body whole and, and robust. And, and one of the key things we look at is stomach and gut health because of the, and it's the two main things are your epithelium, which is that rainforest canopy that houses the biome. So you can have this robust, diverse, well-balanced biome that can, 
that can not only protect you from gastrointestinal disease or stress and, and viruses and all kinds of things, but also the biome also will take a lot of the food substrates you give it and create fatty acids, special fatty acids and even hormones. Uh, that's one of the newest things they found is even the, some of the gut bacteria actually produces hormones like testosterone. Right. I, um, I've been doing some research on the human microbiome and it's just amazing. It's, uh, you know, we're what, uh, I guess shocked me or, or amazes me the most is that we're only like 1% our DNA and we're, you know, 10% or 90% DNA of all the microorganisms that live on our body. That's correct. And it's, it's, it's amazing because, and that's why, you know, I say is you break it down into two things, but they're, they're inner, intricately interconnected and it's your epithelial cells, which are your cells, but that's the canopy. Like if you think of it like a forest, that's the canopy. And within that live your, your biome and you want to create that, um, robust, diverse, uh, forest, diverse yeah. forest that can really handle. And that's one of the, that's another tier of our OFM period is stomach and gut health. And, and again, like I was saying, uh, earlier in terms when you asked about the turnaround, this was, uh, this tier was developed as part of the OFM program because of these, these, these so-called pukers coming to us. Cause I was like, Hey, this is interesting. What's going on here? Why are these guys, you know, puking all the time? And then we get, you know, we start having them eat whole foods and regular foods and they're not having to eat as much when they do run. And, and it, it really makes it really so that, you know, that became a big focus because just like you've learned your research, it's just, it's just a rat hole that goes on and on and on. And it, and, and, and surprisingly enough, Stephanie, some of the stuff I've learned was looking at things like, uh, dairy research because, um, dairy research in, in dairy nutrition, because ruminants and dairy cattle is such a big industry, uh, the dairy research on biome is, is, they're, you know, they're like 30, 40 years ahead of human gastric, uh, oh, research. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so a lot of, uh, a lot of things I've learned has been working with dairy researchers and looking at primary literature in, in dairy cattle and, and other ruminants. And, and one of the uh, researchers I work with is Dr. Bev Teeter, who, and she, uh, was the first person to publish on the issues of trans fats like 25 years ago. And, you know, and that was something, you know, the FDA is finally, coming to admit is a problem. So right. these, these are all the kinds of things. And it, it's just so, everything's so interconnected um, and very complex, but yet doable. If you, you know, you follow some of our evolutionary guidelines and think about it from an evolutionary concept right. about what humans are meant to eat and how we're supposed to perform. Do you notice um, with folks who are following your program that their general overall health is better than um, someone, you know, an athlete who's following like the high carb protocol because um, I know there's a, a large instance of people after a race, they'll get sick just because their immune system drops. I mean, they've written yeah. whole papers on it. Right. Well, this is the thing, like talking about Bill McCarty running two back-to-back hundreds, um, it's the recovery when you, here's what I've, I've kind of gleaned out both with reading the primary literature, working with athletes, my own personal experience, et cetera, is the take home message here is if you're doing any volume of exercise and you're burning primarily glucose, you're probably doing yourself more long-term harm than good. 
But if you're burning fat um, and metabolizing fat, because fat create fat not only does metabolizing fat create energy for human performance, but fat contains a lot of fat soluble vitamins and minerals. Um, it actually helps you to build mitochondria and get actually much stronger, more robust, healthier. And like, like I was saying earlier about the DEXA scans, you know, the athletes I work with tend to gain more lean body mass and bone density. You know, like, like one of the things that one of the markers there that I can speak to is a lot of endurance athletes, despite being out in the sun, despite taking a lot of calcium, have brittle bones. Right. Well, when you understand the physiology of sweat and all that, if you're not hydrating properly, which means taking in a lot of mineral and replace, actively replacing the mineral salts, your body's going to recruit them from your liver and your, your bones. That's why I think a lot of athletes have that burned out feeling at the end of the year is they've literally drawn their reserves way down. And that's why we do the bone broths. That why, that's why we actively recruit, um, actively look at things like magnesium and zinc and iodine. Um, Make sure everybody you're getting enough and replenish them because the level of of volume of exercise will deplete those things over time, and that's why that's another reason why why liver is so important um, in the diet. Right, I know. I started making bone broth with liver because I don't like the texture of liver, but in in the bone broth, it tastes actually pretty good. Yeah. But, um, I. Uh, I really appreciate all your information. It really gives me hope about um, doing endurance events again. I don't um, know if you remember uh, when I had saw you at the Become Superhuman conference, I was like on the back end of recovery from adrenal fatigue. Yep. And I had followed like a, a very um, high carbohydrate, almost vegetarian diet. And at times a vegetarian diet. And I was a mess. And um, I had done a lot of research on the ketogenic diet and read the book, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, which are, you were mentioned in. And um, I ha couldn't ever give it, get it like exactly right. I feel like I'm on the right track now. But I imagine there's a lot of athletes out there just like me who want to continue in endurance sports, but their bodies won't hold up the other way. They, I mean, I just don't think that there's you know, I didn't have enough on board or, or whatever. I was too depleting the way I was training before. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, looking at you now and, and where you were a couple of years ago, you know, you're, you're leaner, you look fitter, you know, where you were a couple of years ago when you shared with me now you were having adrenal fatigue. That doesn't surprise me because when the body's under stress, it wants to store fat and, and hold fat and, because it's thinking from an evolutionary standpoint, the body is is in stress. You won't be able to go out and hunt and gather, and you just have to be able to rest and recover. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 very important to get that nutrition. But also, like I said, when you're making that fundamental switch and trying to get the hormonal balance back by lowering your insulin and insulin sensitivity, getting your leptin sensitivity up, it's it's important not to stress out in lifestyle, but also like not overtraining. So I suggest a lot of people, if they want to do what I call a, is a hard research, hard reset is to do it during the off season and do it before the Thanksgiving holiday so that you know what foods you can eat 
and stay away from the food you can't eat because you can go through the holiday season eating very well on this program as long as you know what to look for. You can eat right. all the rich rich foods, the meats, the the rich sauces and all that. You just have to stay away from the carbs and the sugars and and there's lots of great ways of doing that and and because this movement does have legs under it with the paleo movement right. and the primal movement and the low carb movement, there's a lot of great options online for making desserts and, and things that people, um, commonly look at as carb foods or even like creme brulees or custards that will, which are more than adequate substitutes, um, for a lot of comfort foods or rich foods that people like that they think are carby. So, it's it's eminently doable, and once you can make that transition, um, the reason for a hard reset in the off season is you're not exercising because you you can't put the stress on it when you don't have the fuel. Because like I said before, your body you've taken away the sugar, but your body doesn't quite know how to to do the fat yet. You right. know, it's just like just like with how you feel now that you've got the fat content right for you. Um, you know, it's, it's different from when you were just taking the carbs away. Right. And I think, um, so after you do, I, we're coming up on time, but I just have another question. Yeah. Um, after you, you've done the hard reset and you've taken it easy and you've really gotten to where you feel good and the fat adapted, do you do a lot of like lower zone training or low intensity training before, um, I suggest that people start with ba- uh, like a Maffetone method based right. training, but then once you get going and I, I since we're closing, you want to, you want to, once you get a couple of weeks of good base in and you, you, all the, the signs are there that you're fat adapted, then you want to, depending on your load, two or three times a week, week one, two, three times a week, you want to do some interval training, some fart licks, some higher intensity stuff, but the key is to always warm up. So you get the oxygen in your system, you dilate your cardiovascular system so you can deliver the blood in and out so you can be aerobic, and then you can start pushing, and then as you push, you, you, Further expand that aerobic envelope and the fat burning capability in conjunction. And that's where the Vespa really starts to push that. And the other thing that's real key to this is when you really get it right with the nutrition, you find you just don't eat that much. Okay. Right. You're just I know not going to eat that. My appetite, when I have it dialed in the, the right ratios, I don't have much of an appetite, which is great. Yeah, and when, but also when you get the nutrition right in, um, your body just doesn't need that much. It's amazing how little you need to eat in your diet and how well you'll you'll feel. And then when you exercise, and then another thing about how our OFM program works really well is you'll know it's working because when you bring the carbs back in, whether it's a carb sneak the night before or the carbs during a, an, an event or in training, they'll work like they never worked before. So even though you're using less, so they'll have a bigger bang, a more sustainable bang, even using less. And that's when you know that, no, this is really working for you. So oh, awesome. every, yeah. So, and, and you shouldn't be afraid to use them when you're doing the higher level type training or, and of course during on a race day. Oh, awesome. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. This is the best interview, Peter. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, well how can uh, how yeah. can folks find you? Find you and find Vespa. Vespapower.com, and um, we're just now getting ready to launch our new website. And I'll let you know um, here in the next few days. Okay, uh, great. 
because that's going to have a lot of information. And uh, as we go along, we'll be adding information and content because this is something we've built up over the last six years. And, and there's still a lot of information to sort out, organize and get out there. But we do have the basics and um, we have a good track record. And one of the things I do want to say is, is one of the things that a lot of your conventional people say is, you know, you can't win on fat. You know, you can get... 70, 85% there. You can go all day. You can recover faster, but you know, you'll never win races or set PRs or records on it. You know, you've probably heard that, right? Well, I've heard that for... from folks. Yeah. Okay. Well, OFM takes it into the realm of winning and, and there's plenty of, of, of results there. I, you know, some people say it's anecdotal, but when you have people setting world records and well, when they're crossing the records, finish line, yeah, if they're yeah, they and they're, world- yeah, if they're winning races and setting records, that pretty much qualifies as right. as something something's working on a level that um, competes with anything out there. I was uh, reading an article about Timothy uh, interview with Tim Noakes, Doctor Noakes, and yep. he promotes a very high fat diet as well. And um, I think it's Paula Newby Frazier, but it might not. I mean, I might get the name wrong. But she was an elite triathlete who won all kinds of races, and she always followed a high-fat diet. That's correct. Well, she she used a lot of carbs in her racing, but she grew up in Zimbabwe uh, out in the bush, and they were eating game and cattle as a young. I mean, she said when we were young – we we didn't have a, cookies and pasta and stuff like that. We ate a piece of jerky. Right. You know, they were eating and and when you look at things like anthropology, when you look at um certain uh groups like the Plains Indians, do you here's a little revisionist history. Do you know one of the reasons why the Great Plains of the US were were one of the last places settled in the US? I don't know. Although my degree is anthropology, but it was mostly at the Southwest. Okay. Well, the Plains Indians were following the buffalo and they consumed probably 70-80% of their diet was fat from the buffalo. And they were literally head and shoulders taller and bigger and stronger than the white man. Right. I didn't know that. They're about a foot taller. Yeah. And they were were literally – there's some anthropological papers out there that suggest that at the time they were literally the the strongest, fittest – most cunning humans walking the earth and it was done on a, a high fat, moderate protein diet. And what happened was, um, after Custer's last stand, when they, the, the, the Plains Indians literally butchered the cavalry. Right. It so demoralized the U.S. Uh, army and cavalry that they, they were too scared to, to go into any head to head fights with the Plains Indians because they were that fierce. And it wasn't until they, they figured out if they killed off the buffalo, they could starve out the Indians, which is exactly what they did. And right. that's what the Trail of Tears was all about. That's how they were able to put, to beat them into submission. And so, you know, you look at that. There's a paper in Australia suggesting the Aborigines way back in the day, when you look at their FETS footsteps, they were, they make today's elite athletes look like wimps. Um, right. And there's some cultures who still have pretty amazing um, endurance yep. abilities yeah. who are eating. Um, the Maasai have, you know, they're super tall. And yep. 
And you don't see, and the, and the interesting thing is you don't see any of the, the chronic diseases when you were asking about the health, the improvement self. Right. You don't see any of the chronic diseases in these populations on their native diet, which is a high fat, moderate protein diet. Do you want, read anything, um, from like the Weston A. Price Foundation and his research about dentition? Yes. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a Weston Price member and I do follow it. And, right. and actually the Weston Price diet is pretty close to what a high volume athlete should be eating. Like I, that's one of my little things with Weston Price is I think they're espousing of soaked grains and some of the other things for sedentary people is can be, can backfire on us, all of us I trying to promote agree. the fat because you can't have all that carbohydrate with, with all that saturated fat because that's where the things get really right. bad. I agree. I'm a Weston A. Price member and my good friend is a Chinese medicine doctor and um, and a, our Weston A. Price leader and she's like that's the big hiccup with the Weston A. Price Foundation now is having the sprouted grains and the high fat so you have to have the activity level to eat the sprouted grains. That's right. That's right. And it's like, it's like one of these things is like when, when a lot of my athletes, people quiz them because they look so good and they're accomplishing so much. They quiz them about what they're doing and you see this cognitive dissonance. And then the people say, Oh, you get away with all that fat because you run so much or you bike so much or whatever. And we're saying, no, we get away with the carbs we eat because we, right. we because when you look at, when you look at, um, the Atkins diet and the low carb diet and the body of literature in research around that, you know, that, that 30 to 50 gram a day thing, it's all based on relatively sedentary people. When you look at athletes, that goes up to 75 to 150 to 200 grams a day on a daily, a normal daily training cycle once you're fat adapted. And, um, so, so it makes it when you when you're in that range and you're you're doing a fair volume of exercise, that makes it pretty easy to do a diet with some carbs in it, whether it's a little sweet potato or you know a little bit of rice or or you know just a little something there to to take away the edge or the carbs you're used to without making it you know a problem. Whereas when you're when you're um, when you're sedentary, you have to be very very strict. Right, I I can attest to that as well. So yeah, well, and thank I think, you so much, Peter. I'm going to have to let you go. I have to have another interview in ten minutes, so I'm okay. Great, backed up. But I really really appreciate all your great information and appreciate all the research you've done. And I hope that our um, interview will help some endurance athletes or even you know. Um, just athletes or folks who don't participate in sports really find a way to optimize their health. Why don't we do this? I'm going to, as we leave, why don't we, uh, I'll put in a coupon code. Okay, cool. Uh, you tell me, tell me what you want to use for the coupon code and we'll give uh, anybody that goes to our site a 10% discount. Any listeners? Oh, that's uh, awesome. How about Fit Nerd? F-I-T-N-E-R-D. Fit Nerd. Right. Fit Nerd. We'll... We'll get, that's the discount code. I'll put that in right now. And that way any of your listeners can take advantage of that and tell them to be, feel, feel free to uh, contact us if they have any questions. Okay. Awesome. Great. Okay. Great. Okay, thank you, Peter. And have a great day. I really appreciate it. You too, Stephanie. Take